We are finishing up our study in 1 Corinthians, and hopefully the week after Easter we'll, um, we'll finish up uh, chapter 16, and I think we'll move on to, to Titus after that. But last week we, we began this chapter 15. What a wonderful chapter it is. What, uh, what a wonderful truths that uh, we see here. And last week we, we, we looked at the first few verses of chapter 15 and, and where Paul sets out the facts of the resurrection, the facts of the resurrection, that Jesus Christ appeared to more than 500 men, that, that, that many of whom were alive at the time that Paul wrote this. And he said, look, if, if I was trying to dupe you, if I was trying to fool you, go talk to them yourselves. These people are alive that Jesus spoke to. They're alive. And, and he says, you know, it, what I'm saying could be, can be easily validated. What I'm putting forth with regards to the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ can be easily proven if you'll just ask. There, there's, there's hundreds of people that saw the risen Savior. Just go ask them the facts of the resurrection. And, and in that, he also laid out clearly the gospel. In verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as first of importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. That's the first part of the gospel. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Christ was really, really, really dead. He, didn't just, he wasn't just in a stupor. He wasn't in a coma. He was dead. He was really, 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 really buried. He wasn't just hidden he wasn't taken away, and, and he really, 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 really rose. That's what Paul is saying. These are facts. And, and what Paul goes on to say were the effects of the resurrection, that because of that, everything changes. If Jesus Christ is not alive today, we have no gospel, we have no hope, we have nothing. He says, then we ought to go eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. If Jesus is not alive, we are utterly wasting our time. Paul says if, if Christ is not alive, then he says we are men most to be pitied. We're fools. We, we've wasted our life on a lie. Because the scriptures say that he rose. And, and there are tremendous effects of the gospel. And Paul deals with that as well here today. And, and Paul goes on, again, he, we're continuing here in verse 35. He begins to address a couple of questions that would have naturally come out. If we're honest the, the fact of the resurrection, the reality of our resurrection, it brings some questions into our minds. It brings some things that we're saying, well, what about this? And what about that? And how does this happen? And what will our bodies be like? And what will this be like? And, and that's what Paul deals with here. These questions aren't new. But everything hinges on the resurrection. The bodily, physical, bodily resurrection, not only of Jesus Christ, but of all believers. Believers. And what Paul goes on today is furthering the glory of the resurrection. What he teaches today in verses 35 through 58 continue the glory, the beauty, the wonder of the resurrection. So you'll see there on your handouts the, the first truth I want to look at here in verses 35 through 49 is this. The body of the resurrection, our bodies will be glorious. Will be glorious. Paul is, Paul is dealing with two questions here. And, he, and he, he gets to it right off the bat. How are the dead raised? Okay, you're saying, you're saying that Christ was raised, okay? You're saying, I will be raised. Okay, how? How will the dead be raised, Paul? And not only that, the second question goes with it. Okay, if we're raised, what are our bodies going to be like? What are our bodies going to be like? And you need to understand that the issue surrounding this 
what was a struggle with the resurrection, but it was also a struggle culturally. Culturally, Paul is having to navigate some very, very strong cultural uh, presuppositions, cultural ideologies, ways that the culture that he wrote to in Corinth had affected, had affected their thinking of this. And it's the same today. On, on the one hand, you had the Greeks. They viewed the body as evil, as corrupt. They, they couldn't get rid, wait to get rid of their bodies. And we saw the effects of that earlier on in chapters 6 and 7 and 8. They, they just saw, hey, our, we'll just be spirits just floating around. No, no need for these nasty old bodies we have. We'll just be spirits floating around. That, that was, not, that was one, one, um, one thought. There was no need for resurrection because we'll just be spirits floating around. That, that same, those same philosophies, those same ideas affect us today. They're floating around today. But, so you had the Greeks on one side. On the other hand, you had rabbis in Paul Day who, who argued that the resurrected body would be exactly like the bodies that we have now, identical to what we have now. And the problem with that is when you die, your body decays. So they were saying, we don't want that. If that's the case, I don't want that body. Some of us today are saying, I don't want the body I have right now before it decays. See, so, so there's two thoughts. There's one that we'll just be spirits floating around, and then the other was there'll be no change to our bodies. They'll be exactly like they were, but they decay. And see, that's where all these questions came about, and we deal with these today. What about this and what about that? And, and that's the culture that Paul, that Paul was speaking to with regards to the resurrection. Christians obviously couldn't fall into the, Greek, into the category of the Greeks to say they're, they're, because to say there's no resurrection destroys the gospel. There has to be a resurrection. If Christ was not, dead, raised, was not raised and we're not raised, then we have no hope. And, and, and be, you know, that would destroy the gospel. But not only we could, we're, we're, there's a change to the body. We're, we're, not, we're not suited for heaven right now. We're not ready for it. I, I don't want this body. I don't, I don't want it at all. Marred by sin, corrupted by sin. And, and this is where Paul addresses it. And, and, and the point, Scripture everywhere promises the redemption of our body. That's where Paul is going with this. Scripture everywhere promises the redemption of our body. You, you look at Romans 8.23. Look at Romans 8.23. This whole section in Romans 8 creation groans and and our bodies groan and all that he says and not only this but we also ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our body our bodies we know deep down that we are not today what we were created to be that we've fallen our bodies know that creation knows that it says also in romans 8 that creation groans we long for the perfection of our bodies. We long to not have to deal with the aches and the pains and the decay and, and, and all that goes on with our bodies being marred by sin and affected by sin. Everything has been corrupted by sin. Our bodies, this earth, and we long, we long to be as we were originally without Christ. We, we have been spiritually redeemed through Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we, meaning we have a new spirit, but we exist in this old body. And we know that we aren't what we were created for. 2 Corinthians 5.4 says that these bodies are houses really for our spirit. They're, they're houses for us. That God has given us these bodies to house our spirit to reside in 
in an earthly location. And one day, one day, our bodies are going to be renovated for its heavenly location. If we're a believer, they're going to, he's going to renovate our bodies. And, and that sent, that reality sent the Corinthians into a tailspin. And, and even us today, if they, they can't connect the body with the dead. They can't connect the spirit with the body. They can't connect, well, what about this and what about that? And you get a new body. It, it threw them into a tailspin. And if we're honest, we have the same questions today. If we're honest, the resurrection and, and receiving a glorified body and, and, and all this stuff, it challenges us. In the flesh, it's challenging. There, there are, I've heard it before and I've thought about it. There's all sorts of ways that someone could die and you say, what's God going to do with that body? Someone, someone dies in a shipwreck. Where is their body? There's all kinds of ways that you say, you know, where somebody could die that we don't even have the body anymore. We say, God, what are you going to do with that? It's challenging. It's challenging to our thoughts, it's challenge, but, it, but it's challenging only on a fleshly level because it's, we're finite, we're finite. And, and we can come up with all sorts of what ifs, what if that, what if that, what if that. Look, look with me in, in Acts 26 verse, verse 8, Paul is, is addressing King Agrippa and I love the, what he says. Paul's confidence in God was so great that he goes to the king and look what he says. He says, why should it be so incredible to you that God would raise the dead? Why would that even be incredible to you? He says, if you knew the God that I know, if you knew this biblical God the way that I know him, wouldn't seem so incredible. And, and, and he is saying the, the, the problem is, you know, Paul looks at him, he says, but some will say, how are the dead raised and what kind of body you are? And look at how, look at Paul lovingly or unlovingly. I, I suppose it was lovingly. He says, you fool. You're foolish to ask those questions. The reason why is you're not taking into account the great God that we serve. That's why you're asking that question. Many of the tough questions that we ask in our life, if we're honest, it's because we're doubting. We're not taking into account or we don't really know this great God that we serve. That Paul could say in Ephesians, Now to him who is able to do far more exceedingly beyond Anything that we ask or think. In Luke 1, 37 and 38, with God, nothing is impossible. In Jeremiah 32, 17, all oh Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth. Nothing is too difficult for you. Paul says, if you knew this great God the way that I knew him, well, it's not an issue. The resurrection is not an issue anymore. Psalm 14, 1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool, it's foolish to live your life and not take into account this great God that we've served and been, been created for. Foolish. Foolish. The only response to this is this. If God is God, and if this biblical picture of what we have in the Bible is accurate, He can easily resurrect the body that He created out of the dust in the first place. That's what Paul is essentially saying. He created us out of dust in the first place. He'll do it again. If your body's dust, He'll do it again. He created everything we know just out of the speaking of his word. He'll do it again. But you've got to know this great God that we serve. It, it, again, if we believe God created us to begin with, recreating us, it's not so hard. It's not so hard. I, I, I was reading this week, and, and 
Uh, I read about uh, 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 one, of great, one of England's greatest chemists. His name is Sir Michael uh, Faraday. I think I'm pronouncing that right. He, he's a phenomenal chemist, a phenomenal uh, physicist. And, and one day he was, he, was, he was speaking in his class and he heard a student scoff at the idea of the, of the resurrection. And so Faraday took a, a silver um, goblet and he threw it into a jar of acid and immediately the acid dissolved it. Well, then Faraday took a, a couple other chemicals and, and put them in the jar. Well, the, the material, the, the dissolved material of the goblet floated to the bottom of the acid. He drained it out. He took that material to a, um, what's it called, a, a silversmith. That silversmith formed a goblet out of that material that was more beautiful than the first one. He brought it back to his class and handed it to the student and it says, look, if a silversmith, if me and a silversmith can do this, God can do even greater. The, the, the goblet was gone. It was dissolved. He said, hey, science can do this. Then the, if science can do this, if, if I, his exact quote was this, if I, an ordinary scientist, can dissolve and remake a silver goblet, why is it hard to believe that God can raise the body from the dead? So it shouldn't be that hard. If me, a mere man, can do this, God can do anything because nothing is too difficult for him. And hear me, the resurrection of our bodies does not depend on us understanding how God will do it. When, when we grasp the fact that nothing is impossible with God, resurrection becomes simple. Simple. If nothing is impossible with God and resurrection is something, guess what? That means it's possible. And God is able to do far more exceedingly beyond anything we ask or think. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. He's able. He's able. You look at Hebrews 11.3. God, God, God created the universe out of nothing. This is, this is minor league stuff. He's re recreating what he created already. And, and, and people think, oh, and, and even in then, oh, we found some hole in the gospel, or we've, we've found some flaw, or we found some, some thing that they can't explain, and, and all that. And Paul says, you know what? You're foolish. If you think that, <clears throat> you're foolish. And, and Paul, he gives them one of the most basic illustrations here. And he says, hey, let me think about a seed in verses 36 and 38. He says, that which you sow doesn't come to life. Why? Unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. He says, all flesh isn't the same flesh, but there's one flesh of men, another of beasts, another of birds, another of fish. But there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And, and Paul says, look, think with me. You take a seed. A seed. Looks one way in your hand. He says, you bury it in the ground. What happens to that seed? The seed dies. It decomposes, if you will. And yet, from that very same spot where death occurred, guess what comes? Life. Life. Just, just, by, just by sheer God's grace, I've seen this in, in our own backyard. I, I, a buddy of mine has some land, and he has some ferns, and, and I've been trying to figure out what to do, some areas in my yard that, quite frankly, I'm just tired of mowing all of it. So I'm like, well, let's plant some plants there, and then I'll have to mow it. So um, 
I, I, I got some ferns. I transplanted them. All of them died. But guess what? Every single one of them, new life is coming up right where that fern died. Every single one of the ferns that I transplanted, probably a hundred, they died. But new life is growing right where that old fern died. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Look, new life is begun. New life sprouts. The appearance of the seed changes. The appearance, everything but rises from the ground is vastly different than what went into the ground. But it contains the light, the same essence, the same life of that seed that went into the ground. And he's saying the seeds do it. God has given us a picture of the resurrection just in farming, in seed. That seed produces a plant. It goes in the ground, it dies, and it produces a plant. Same life, same plant, but a different form. And Paul's saying, that's, that's us. That's the resurrection. You, you see it in your own life. Uh, Barbara was just telling me the other day, there's, there's some ladies that, that, that meet at her house for a Bible study, and um, she said, hey, they were looking at some pictures of, of you prior to the engagement. You look a little different. I'm like, well, hide those things. I, I, had, I had a lot of hair back in the day. I know that's hard to believe. I had... I, I, have, I, I, I kid Karen, I say, the difference between hair and no hair are you and two kids. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, that's the only thing that changed. That and the Idlewild Church at Odessa. No, but I look differently. I look different back in the day. I had hair, a few less wrinkles, maybe got a little more sleep each night. Had, had a few less effects of the sun. Few, little, the bags under my eyes, maybe are a little less. But guess what? I'm the same person. I look differently, but I'm still Chris. Physically, I've changed, but I'm still the same. Every single one of you can look at pictures where you looked vastly different than you do today, but you're the same. See, it's not hard. To, it's not hard. Change happens all the time. We're constantly changing, constantly changing. Look, look with me at Philippians 3, 21, 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, look at this, transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has given, was given to subject all things to himself. If you understand what a great God that we serve, none of this other stuff is difficult to comprehend. Not, not difficult. We will be the same, but we will be transformed so that we are perfectly suited for our heavenly existence. That, that's what Paul is saying. You will be transformed to be perfectly suited for your heavenly existence. And look, look at verse 42. You know, he, he says in, in verse 40 and following, he says, look, birds have a different flesh, people have a different flesh, fish have a different flesh. God suited all of them perfectly for their environments. He's going to do the same with our glorified bodies. The sun, the moon, the stars, they're perfectly suited for their role. And then he goes in to say in verse 42 through 53, he says, so it's with the resurrection of the dead. It's the same. It is sown a perishable body, raised imperishable. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. He, he goes on. What he's saying is, look, look, he says, your body 
your body right now, listen to how he describes it. And you see it there on your handout. It's perishable. Your body's perishable. We die. We die. It's sown in dishonor. And it's weak. Three ways that Paul describes our bodies. Perishable, dishonorable, and weak. Our natural earthly bodies. And I don't think we would disagree with that. I, I, I mean... Weak? There's so much stuff we can't do. We're so, we're so marred here by the effects of sin. Perishable. Every day. Every day. But look what he says, though. Look at how our glorified bodies in that same, cha- in that same paragraph. Imperishable. That which is perishable now will be imperishable. Never experience death again. That which was dishonorable is now honorable. We, we, bear the, we, we have a glorified body. That which was weak is now powerful. See, our new bodies will no longer be natural bodies. They'll be spiritual bodies. No longer focused on the natural, but we'll be filled completely with the Holy Spirit. As imperishable bodies will no longer suffer sickness. We'll no longer suffer from death, heat, cold, hunger. We'll no, longer, we'll no longer have the shame of sin. You look back at Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. What's the first thing they did? They were ashamed. They hid themselves. No more. No more with our glorified bodies. Our earthly bodies are weak. There's so many things we can't do. We're subject to the natural laws of gravity. We're subject to the natural uh, laws of time, of space. We're weakened by sin, the temptations. Our glorified bodies will be perfectly empowered by the Spirit that lives inside of us. There won't be any weakness anymore. They'll be perfect. Just like our earthly bodies, he said there, our earthly bodies are perfectly suited for life on earth. Our heavenly bodies will be perfectly suited for life in heaven. Perfectly suited. They'll be perfect. That's what Paul is dealing with. They will be suited for life in heaven. God will give us a body that is suited for life in heaven. That's what he's saying. It'll be perfect for it. God has done it here on earth. He'll do it there as well. And, and the bot, you see it in, in verse 48. As is, as is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. As is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. They will be suited perfectly for heaven. And the bodies that we inherit will be more like the bodies that God originally intended to be rather than what we know. I mean, I, I kid all the time. I doubt God looked, would have created this body and looked and said, that's good. No, no, this is, this is, this is what you get after thousands of years of sin. And yet one day we're getting a glorified body. No more weakness, no more, no more struggles. 2 Corinthians uh, 4.16 says that these bodies that we have today are wasting away. Every day we're, they're wasting away. And we're waiting for that glorified body. And here might be, listen to me clearly, this might be the best news that I've ever shared with any of you regarding, and it's found in this text, the best news. If you don't like your body now and all the effects that sin has had on it, hold on. Hold on. Because one day we're going to be perfect. To, to use the world's vernacular, one day we're going to be foxy, friends. Come on, five. We are going to be there. We're going to be hot. 
perfect. Perfect. You laugh, but it's true. Every single one of us as believers in Christ will be perfect tens. Perfect tens. Just as God created. It won't be all this struggling with what the world tells us we ought to look like and what the world tells us we have to be and what the world tells us beauty is. No, God's going to create us exactly what He says beauty is. He's going to give us a new body and it's going to be perfect. And, and again, that's why we groan. That's why, we, that's why these magazines are so attractive and that's why the things of the world, because we know we're not what we were supposed to be. We yearn for it. And I guarantee you, if you're like me, there are, there's at least one part or many parts of your body that you would change if you could today. You would change it if you could. Maybe it's your weight, your height, your hair. Something about your face. And our culture bombards us with things. 1 John 3.2, Jesus is saying, he's saying, hold on, because 1 John 3.2 says this, we will be like him when we see him as he is. He is going to make you perfect. Perfect. So, so what's the application here? What's the, why does this matter? Well, guess what? When you stand with a widow at a graveside, when, when, you, when you stand by, by, by the disabled, when, when you look at the number of people that are being martyred every single day for their faith, we know nothing about that in America. Every day, thousands and thousands and thousands of people are dying for one reason, because they're believers in Jesus Christ, and they won't recant that. When you stand beside the bed of a, of a young couple who, who loses a baby to death, God has an answer. That, that would say experience is not final. The answer of these is this, the bodily resurrection. It's the hope of the resurrection. It's eternity spent with our Savior. We, we draw strength and truth from this every day of our lives more than we realize. It is the mental glue that holds us together. God is saying, stay, stay the course, stay the course, because one day, guys, one day I'm going to make it all right. One day, I'm going to make it all right. And, and there are people in here who have, who have buried a baby far too soon. Guess what? You will spend eternity. And that baby will be perfect. There's about 50 million aborted babies from America alone that in heaven are perfect. And God says, Satan, you think you win? No, 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 you do not win. Where, where, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded, and I'm going to overtake that, and I'm going to give them resurrected bodies. And your victory de- death, your supposed victory, Satan, is going to be swallowed up. Swallowed up. The, the thing is, do the best you can with the body you have, knowing that one day it will be perfect. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, one day you're going to get a perfect body. You're going to get a resurrected body that is perfect. Hold out. Hold out. Cling to that hope. Cling to that hope. The second point he makes, not only is will our bodies be glorious, it's the beauty of the resurrection. We will live forever victorious. Not only will our bodies be glorious, we will live forever victorious. And that's what Paul says in, in verses 50 through, um, through 58. He says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you the truth. 
I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The, the natural question is, hey, what if, what if Christ comes back and we're alive? What happens then? That'd be a glorious thing. To not have to experience death, that Christ comes back and we just, boop, gone. That'd be pretty cool. But, but that's, that's, that's where the natural question goes to. And, and Paul's response to all of this is just pure praise. These questions don't, don't tarnish the gospel. They don't, they don't take Paul to places where he can't. He says, hey, here's the answer. This is the answer. We cannot enter heaven as we are. Please hear that. With the bodies we have, we can't. We must be changed, and that is exactly what God does for us, Paul says. He changes us. Even those who are alive in Christ when he returns, will be changed. And and that is the natural question that comes about, okay, you've answered the question about the dead and all that. What about those who are alive? And Paul says, hey, we're going to get changed too. The living and the dead must have transformed bodies in order to enter heaven. And and he's dealing with the rapture here. Paul, Paul, in his day... The rapture was imminent. Nothing else had to happen in order for the rapture to occur. He's waiting on it. Any moment. It could be any moment. And our, our, Paul, they would say, well, why do, why do our bodies have to be transformed? Because our current bodies are incapable and unworthy of coexisting with an infinite, holy, perfect God. Living or dead, our bodies are not worthy of heaven. They must be changed. They must be changed. And, and this was new information. That's when Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. This is new information for them. It, 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 that's what's meant by mystery. Previously hidden, something kind of previously hidden, the rapture. God has revealed some things over time. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord. As, we progr- as they progressed, there was different progressive revelation, if you will. God would unveil more and more about his plan, and the mystery is this. Not everyone's going to sleep or die, but all will be changed. That's the mystery. That's the mystery. Not everyone's going to sleep. Go to sleep. When you, the word sleep there means die. Not everyone's going to die, but all will be changed. And this change will happen in the twinkling of an eye. That quick. Twinkling of an eye. Instantaneous. And the mystery, again, that Paul refers to here, it's the rapture. Believers who are alive are caught up with Christ and they're changed. In the Greek, the twinkling, the word twinkling there, it literally means the shortest period of time possible. That quick. However quick that quick is, it's that quick. We will be changed. The trumpet will sound. That always marks something big in God's economy. And in this case, it's summoning the dead from the graves to meet their maker. I... I, I, I I illustrate this this way. You, 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 ever had, you ever had your kids, they fall asleep maybe in the couch or they fall asleep on the floor. They, bottom line, they don't fall asleep in their bedroom. And, and, and you pick them up in your strong arms and you carry them into their bed and they finish the night asleep in their bed. When they wake up, like, how did I get here? They don't know what happened. They, all they, they were asleep on the floor. I, that happens to us every night. We put our daughter in bed, in her bed, and when I wake up in the morning, there's four people in our bed. It just happens overnight. Karen could tell you to the moment that it happened. I don't have a clue. I, 
that's just God's grace. I'm a hard sleeper. I'll wake up and say, Karen, how'd you sleep? She's like, what do you mean how'd I sleep? You didn't hear what went on last night? I did not. I'm sorry. Don't hate me. But the little boys, they go to sleep in the, one place and they wake up another. Death for the Christian will be like that. You're going to go to sleep or you're going to be walking and then this next second you're going to wake up. You're going to be in heaven. Death is, death is like that. If you have loved ones who have died in Christ, the moment they died, the sec, that very second they woke up in eternity. That's good news. And, and people die... Listen, people die because they have perishable bodies, decaying, perishable bodies. And it is because of the effects of sin. It's just not this natural thing. It's because of sin. We die because of sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's why we die. And God in His grace has disrupted the sequence of events that sin has put in motion. John 14 says, Jesus says, be comforted, be of good cheer. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. He is preparing a place for us right now. And one day God is going to say to his son, go get your bride. And he's going to come and in the twinkling of an eye, those who are alive were going to be in Christ will be changed in a moment. And those who have died in Christ will be res- resurrected and they will get their glorified bodies. You look, look with me at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, just to, to, to see this. Paul was dealing with this. There was people struggling with, with, with this even in, in the church here. And Paul says in verse 13 in 1 Thessalonians 4, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. In that day they thought, well, man, if that's true, then the people who are dead, they're at a disadvantage. The dead in Christ are at a disadvantage. And he says, I don't want you to be disinformed. It's dis- uninformed, rather. About those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. To, 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 to be absent from the body, Paul says, is to be present with the Lord. In a moment. And what Paul is saying is the net effect of Christ's death and His return and His resurrection is the defeat of death once and for all. Literally in the Greek, if you wanted to put it in our terms today, he would be saying, take that, death. Take that. You got nothing, nothing to say about that. No answer. Death is defeated. It, it literally swallowed up in victory. It's gone. Death no longer threatens believers. Why? Because it's been swallowed up. Satan, you can imagine on that Friday when Jesus died on that cross. You can imagine Satan thought he had won. You can imagine the Jewish leaders thought they had won. But three days later, their apparent victory was swallowed up as Jesus rose from that tomb. Victorious. 
sending a final death blow to death itself. There is no victory for death. It's been swallowed up for the believer. It's gone. The sting has been removed, he says. He's asking, death, where's your sting? You got nothing to challenge me with, nothing to, nothing to threaten me with. It's gone. Christ has defeated death so that all who believe in him, death is, we're in eternity forever in heaven. If you refuse, just like I read in First Chronicles, if you seek him, you will find him. If you reject him, he will reject you and you will spend eternity in weeping and gnashing in teeth separated from Christ in hell. That's the bottom line. You don't just die and then nothing happens. You either die and go to heaven or you die and you spend eternity in hell. Two options. And death, again, it is the result of sin, and it is the judgment of God because of sin. And right now, death is our enemy. We fear it. We hide from it. We hate it. We don't want to talk about it. It destroys relationships. It destroys friendships. It does all of that. But death will be completely, once and for all, completely and finally conquered at the return of Christ. Once and for all, done. That is what swallowed up means. It is a drastic and complete destruction. Calvary was a complete and total death blow when Christ came out of that tomb. Done. Christ accomplished for us what we could have never accomplished on our own. He satisfied the law. He fulfilled the law. He paid the penalty. And death is shut up forever. That's what Paul says in verses 54 through 57. But thanks be to God, verse 57, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory. And, and, and again, it's interesting, verse 58, for Paul, correct theology always resulted in correct living. What, what we see most of all in our wrong behaviors are oftentimes indicators that we have wrong theology, wrong thoughts, or we're not trusting God. That's what he's saying, and the resurrection is no different. The, 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 the resurrection ought to free us up like nothing else. And, and here's some just quick you see them on your handout. Truth is stronger than falsehood. The truth of God's word prevails. We live in a culture where that is under attack. Trust me, the truth of God's word prevails. Good is stronger than evil. The word of God, what God has put forth, what God has called us to, overcomes evil. He that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Love is stronger than hatred. We've seen that in chapter 13. What's the, what is that that overcomes? It's the love for Christ and love for one another. You look at Romans 12. Do good to those who, who hate you. Do good to those who persecute you. And in doing so, you heap burning coals on their head. Life is stronger than death. We don't just die and then just wander off into oblivion. It's either heaven or hell. And I ask the question, what, you know, what's it going to be? Jesus Christ has offered salvation. He has offered redemption from the penalty of our sins. We have to, by faith, receive that and apply it to our lives. But then you don't just do that and walk away. Paul makes that very clear, verse 58. If you've really done that, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, look at the result. When you've applied the blood of Jesus Christ to your life, and when you understand the resurrection, look what you, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Death's victory has been overcome by Christ's victory. God's people will be raised and will be instantly 
changed into the likeness of Christ. And we ought, that ought to create in us a people who fears less than the world. We can't lose. We're victorious in Christ. Live like it. That's, that's the application. And as I prayed through this application, and as I thought, you know what, this week, we, we just kind of glanced through this week forgetting what our, what our master, what our Savior was going through. I, I want to challenge you, and you see, it, you see it on your hand out there as we close. I, I, I want to challenge you to do something this week that you only would do because He lives. Something totally out of character for you. And I'm not saying be foolish and do something daring and then blame it on. No, do something for the cause of Christ. I don't want your kids doing something dumb and then y'all blame me. No, you do something to make much of Christ this week that you maybe have been scared to do your whole life. Maybe it's something that you know you ought to have done. It could be sharing the gospel with your friend. It could, be, it could be you're in line somewhere and you pay for the meal of someone behind you that you don't know and you say, I did that because Christ paid for my debt. Maybe it's forgiveness. I, I don't know. I, I want you to do something that would be totally moronic were it not for the fact that you're loved and you love a risen Savior. I, I challenge you. I, I, I challenge you to do something that is totally out there, that if Jesus, not Christ, is not alive, that you would be pitied for doing whatever it is you did. And, and here's what I want to know. I want, if, you're so, if you'll take that and you'll do it, I, I'd love to hear about how it goes. I, I'd even love, not, not to the praise of man, but the, the praise of our great God, I'd love for part of our Easter service to be celebrating what we have done because He lives. That if there were any visitors here for that Easter service, they'd see, because He lives, we live differently. I want to hear about it. I, I, want, I want you to do something maybe for a total stranger and simply tell them, the reason why I'm doing this is because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, and you share with them the gospel. I, I, want, I want to challenge us. I, I want to ask you to at least be so bold as to pray that God might prompt your heart to do something like that. Pray about it. Just, just ask God, would you, would you, what might I do this week that requires total faith in a risen Savior? And I, I want us to live differently because He lives. And I believe the gospel demands it in our lives. And I believe that God is worth it. We're going to have a, a time of invitation. If you're here and you don't know, you don't know that you know that you know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you have never admitted that you were a sinner and you've never received the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the payment for that sin, I'm going to challenge you to come forward and get that settled today. If, if, if you've, maybe you've done that and you've never been baptized, that might be something that you, that might be your it, is to schedule your baptism. That might be it. It, it could be joining a church. Whatever it is, as, as Daniel plays, I want to challenge you to come forward and get that settled today. But really, pray through what you might do this week that would be totally moronic were it not for a risen Savior, and I want to hear about it.